And so her sort of stress and burn burnout back then was what uh, sort of forced me to have to get creative and think, well, how do we set this up better? Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Right, welcome back to the Wayfinder Show, Adam. How you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing all right. It's a it's a good week, but you know, you ever have those weeks where you just feel like every around every corner you stub your toe or something? I so Monday morning, right? I wake up, I'm kind of tired, getting ready to go into the office, walk outside, and there's a possum just in my garage. So, oh wow, that, that was a thing. That's how I started yeah. this week off, and it just kind of kept. <laughs> things kept happening like that so it's just it's all good but it's one of those weeks yeah well man i i think that's a sign of good luck you know they oh, say yeah? nice yeah they say if uh in venetian culture that uh that's a sign of good luck i'm calling bullshit on that i just but... made that up but yeah. I, i'm sure it's it's good luck man you do well <laughs> <laughs> well cool well enough about me uh yeah. i know we got a really special guest today you want to you want to tell us who we got Oh, yeah, man, I'm super excited. I'm going to totally fanboy throughout this episode. Uh, so I was telling you earlier, you know, I actually think the longest running podcast I've ever listened to is, uh, you know, this is the host of that that show. It's, it's called the Marathon Training Academy. As you know, I started getting into marathons. It changed my life. Their mission resonates with, with it for me. Um, as you know, running a marathon is what helped me change my life and get my life together. And, and that was back in 2010. And I started learning about it when I didn't know anybody else who knew how to run uh, by finding this podcast called Marathon Training Academy. And since then, I've just been hooked. I listen to it all the time. Now I've listened to a ton of other ones. Now there's so many more out there, so many other resources, but I still go back to this podcast because they are just real people who host it just like me and you you know, and, and really help people. And you can feel that servant's attitude when you listen to it. So anyways, without further ado, I'm really, really excited to introduce uh, Trevor Spencer. Trevor, welcome. Hey, thank you. It's an honor to be here on the Wayfinder podcast. Thank you for those nice words about our show. And yeah, you, you probably started listening uh, soon after we launched the podcast, if it's 2010, because I think we started in February of 2010. Wow. We kicked out our first episode. So yeah, thanks for being a longtime listener. Yeah, I went on my first run, like ever, like to, like what I would consider like trying to run, like not just you know running to like get somewhere because I'm running late or catch a bus or, anything, but like I, it was March of 2010. So yeah, not mm -hmm. too long after, somewhere between then, uh, not too long after you started, I I had to have started listening, for sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you, podcasting. Trevor. What uh, right. what before we even go into that, like who are you? <laughs> who am I? International <laughs> man of mystery. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I was uh, born and raised in California, but I've kind of lived everywhere. I met my wife in Montana. We had two kids born there. Lived in Missouri. Had a kid born there. Currently in Pennsylvania, and. Yeah, I've been doing this uh, podcast thing for 13 years, but full-time since uh, 2014. So we kind of started as a side hustle. Uh, back then I was uh, in ministry. I was pastoring a small church in a small town in Missouri that I started. And uh, I just kind of looked around at other people who were doing what I was doing, who were getting older, actually some men who had mentored me. And they didn't really have any savings. They didn't uh, have kind of any freedom to go anywhere in their later life. And I thought to myself, um, I'm either going to do that. Uh, that's that's going to be my future. Or maybe like if I can't be in ministry anymore, I'll be a greeter at Walmart unless I 
make some drastic changes. Like I, I had no savings. I was living below the poverty line. We had three kids, couldn't afford to go out to eat, couldn't afford to go anywhere. I had old cars that my parents had basically given me when they were done with them. And uh, I just knew I needed something needed to give. I needed to change. So I talked about, I thought about going back to college, uh, getting maybe an MBA or something like that, which maybe I, I, I would still like to do theoretically. But then I, I was listening to a podcast called 48 Days to the Work You Love by uh, Dan Miller. And he said, just because you have a piece of paper doesn't mean you're going to make more money. So what can I, what can you do right now to bring in more money? So I started thinking about uh, real estate and I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Kiyosaki. <laughs> and that was back in maybe 05, 06. So I thought, well, that's the way, that's the thing to do, real estate. But I didn't have any money to invest in real estate. I'm kind of debt adverse. So I didn't want to go into a ton of debt. Um, and as I was online, just learning about real estate investing, I stumbled upon internet marketing and it, it just dawned on me that people were making money on the internet. So I thought, well, maybe I can do that. So that was around 08. And I started listening around that time. I was introduced to podcast around 08. I started listening to business podcasts like planet money. Hmm. And that was the NPR podcast, probably still around. There was one called internet business mastery that I listened to. And those guys specifically we're teaching people how to create um, an authority uh, business on the internet. So an authority niche, you know, so I'm not, not going to do affiliate marketing or have e-commerce, but, you know, become an expert on a topic and then people will, you know, come to you because of your expertise on that topic. So then I started to search my brain. Well, which topic do I want to, you know, what am I expert on? Really nothing. But my wife, she had run a couple of marathons and she was a registered nurse. So I thought, well, maybe we'll start a show on marathon training. People can really benefit from what she has to say. And so I pitched her the idea. I was like, let's start a podcast. And she said, what's a podcast? <laughs> so, <laughs> this is back in like 09. So, and I also wasn't a runner and I was pitching the idea of starting a podcast on running. So she said, well, let's give it a try. You have to start running. So uh, I was always a pretty active guy, but hated to run. Actually failed PE in high school one year because I refused to run the mandatory mile. Like, that's how bad I hated it. <laughs> so um, I started running with this idea, this question, can I learn to love what I currently hate? And uh, the answer is yes. You can learn to love what you don't like, what you, what you, what you only tolerate now in terms of like, diet, exercise, healthy living, reading books, whatever it might be for you that you know it's a healthy habit that you need to implement, you can learn to love it. And I've definitely learned to love running. It's changed my life and uh, in many ways, not just in terms of my health and outlook, but also financially. You know, it worked. The, uh, the scheme worked, and we were able to quit the 9 to 5, quit the, WT, the W-2 job, and start living more of the life that we wanted to live in terms of being able to afford to do stuff. That's awesome. And your wife quit the nursing job too, right? Tangie. Yeah. She was a uh, nurse at a hospital um, before we started having kids. And then once the first kid came in oh, um, 2004, she, she quit that job. So she's pretty much stay at home mom by the time we started the podcast. So she hasn't worked in a hospital setting for quite a while, but still keeps her nursing license current. Gotcha. And she believed at that time you came, you know, you explained to her with a podcast and right away you guys were like, oh yeah, that's brilliant. We'll be gazillionaires. Let's do it. Right. <laughs> Is that how it worked out? <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was thinking back then. I, I think that I was just ready to try whatever worked, you know, and, yeah. and, um, Blogging was still a big thing back then. People were just getting into video. She didn't want to be on camera. So podcast was, you know, just like the perfect match for us. And I think we got in during the second wave of podcasting. First wave would have been like in the the, the real OGs doing it in like 05, 06, the real tech guys. And then around the time that I jumped in, 09, 2010, 
Um, there were more people that came in. It was still a lot of folks didn't know what a podcast was. You still have to explain it to a lot of people, but more and more people were were finding out what podcasts were and, and it was getting more popular. And that's when we jumped in. So we rode that wave and there wasn't a lot of competition. Right. I think what, you know, I started with market research, just finding like, is there any demand for information on marathon training? Is there any way to monetize it? Like what's the exit strategy if I ever want to sell it? And how do I build a back end on this, on this business if I want to do that? And, uh, the search terms were healthy. There was a good search monthly search volume. I, I literally just went to the Google keyword research tool and saw what is the monthly search volume for that keyword term, marathon training. And they say, anybody wants to, by the way, if anybody, here's a tip for anybody who wants to launch out on, online and see if your idea is viable. If there's 50,000 searches per, per month or more, it's probably a healthy niche. Okay, so 50,000 more is kind of the rule of thumb back then anyway. Maybe it's different now, but Marathon Training had good search volume. There were other people selling information on that. And there was a Marathon Training for Dummies book, for example. But when I looked into iTunes, I looked at podcasts, there were some people who would just go out on a run and carry a voice recorder and breathe heavily and narrate their run. But there wasn't really any podcast that was prescriptive with advice and kind of more professionally produced. So I think we came along and we kind of fit that, we, we kind of embodied that niche, yeah. um, owned it. And and I chose the term marathon training, uh, the, the term, I chose the name Marathon Training Academy because it had the keywords in there. So if you go into iTunes oh. or Spotify or wherever and you type in marathon training, boom, we're the first result. And we've been yeah. ranked as the number one on that keyword search term uh for years now so it's worked out pretty well for us that way wow yeah so what was that initial business model of projection was it it was were you planning to drive income just through selling ad space or were you trying to to build some kind of subscription model or what what was the plan there yeah subscription model um via membership and also coaching uh, so my wife became a running coach, got her certification in that, also continued to run more and more marathons and kind of became the um, attractive characters. One one term I think that Russell Brunson uses is, you know, you in authority marketing, you kind of become the person who your, your niche, your audience aspires to be. Yeah. So for a lot of people in my audience, that was her. Um she went on to be able to qualify for Boston, do all kinds of back-to-back -back races and, and really pushing herself as just an average, athletically average person. She's not like a call, collegiate athlete, doesn't, doesn't consider herself to be, you know, talented, just trains, trains smart and works hard. Unlike me, I don't work hard or train smart. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've run 20 marathons, but. I'm still a lazy bastard when it comes to running marathons. <laughs> well, when you, when your other half has done the amount of marathons she's done it, you, everybody looks lazy, right? Like how, how many marathons has Angie done now? 70. Yeah. And wow. almost all of them. I'm, I'm sure she's done along your journey with the podcast. Cause I, I mean, I've heard so many yep. race recaps there that, yeah, I think she was on marathon number three when we launched the wow. podcast. Yeah. And uh, I was on zero. So yeah, I think episode 11, it might have been episode 11, was the, the very first re race recap we did that was a Little Rock Marathon in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was my first half. Wow. So we recapped that. And it was her first marathon after having our, our third son. Yeah. So she was building back from preg pregnancy and I was doing my first half and wow. we just went with the name race recap and people enjoyed it. So we've been doing race recaps ever since and, and just sort of tongue in cheek. I call them world famous race recaps because yeah. it makes Angie roll her eyes at me. So yeah. It's kind of an inside joke, like time for a world famous race recap, even <laughs> though we're talking about Arkansas, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Luis does that too. He calls our questions at the end the world famous Wayfinder 4. And I <laughs> always chuckle at that. But 
<laughs> Why not? You know, it's funny as you're saying this, I'm thinking that you you've not only influenced me so much in my running that just just that says it right there. Like you you've had a big influence on me with with podcasting now, you know. I mean, I have to say <laughs> oh, yeah. the world famous Wayfinder Four. Yeah. So the um it it's neat. So a, after doing all this for for so long, you 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 started out with a traditional business idea. Hey, you know, let me get out of my W two, which was a pastor job essentially, right back then, and and mm-hmm. and you wanted to build a business, and you thought this could be it, right? Of course, and at that time, how could a podcast not take off, right? No, <laughs> you probably, everybody probably was wondering what it was. I would imagine that must have been really scary. Like to how could you how could you write a real plan around it? Like how can you you know, there, there couldn't have been enough that were successful and and have made had monetized them. I would imagine at that time, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I could definitely riff on that. I could talk about this uh, podcasting ad nauseum. In fact, uh, and I don't get a chance to talk about this a lot, so <laughs> I appreciate being on the show. So yeah. I think uh, initially, I realized. Um, there's not a lot of ways to make money podcasting. It's, it's hard to make money as a podcast unless you're really huge. Like if you're Joe Rogan or a big show like that, or maybe in the fitness space, um, those guys are making huge money like uh, like like Joe Rogan. But in the fitness space, maybe like Rich Roll, it's a big show. Yeah. Um, the average You've podcast. Had on your show, right? No, I never have. Never have oh, really? had him on. Okay. Someday we we need to though. Yeah, I, I think they they say the average podcast is about 150 to 200 downloads per episode. Yeah. Um, so it's you can definitely build you know a loyal audience, and there's, there's something to be said about having a thousand true fans. Kevin Kelly is someone who popularized that idea mm-hmm. uh, of a band just needs a thousand true fans. But uh, I think for us, since we positioned the the podcast pretty well in the beginning. We did a lot of things right. Maybe just luck. Uh, we had an audience grow, like a real loyal, just and also uh, gracious audience form. Like right in the beginning, like people like like you, Luis, who are just like enthusiastic about life and and uh, running and passionate and, and and you give back. And um, it's just definitely been our 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 audience that's made the journey uh, worth it to us and made it special and, and kept us going because it's a lot of work. Um, you definitely get people can get burned out pretty easily. I've seen podcasts come and go mm-hmm. um, because it's a lot of work. And uh, so we, that's what we had going for us in the beginning was we had just a, a loyal audience uh, right at the, off the bat. And uh, in terms of like, um launching a podcast in back in the day, I I still did it as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was searching for, for the other part of your question. <laughs> I did it as a side hustle. So I wasn't like sink or swim. Hope this works like running off the dock. Right. So I was still keeping my pastoring job and definitely bootstrapping this whole thing. We didn't borrow money to do it. Uh, so if it didn't work out, you know, I was going to go to on and, and try something else. But it, it did take us about four years to where we could build it up enough to where we could uh, live off of uh, the money that we made from from MTA. And I got to say, too, that our living expenses were really low. So we weren't used to living a, a fancy lifestyle at all. I mean, as a pastor, I was getting paid like below the poverty line. And we we knew how to make it work. Living in Missouri, southeast Missouri, co- low cost of living. So it didn't take a lot of money. Uh, I think I think by the time the month that we actually launched was like a $10,000 month for us in the business. And like, that was great. That was, a, to me back then, that was a lot of money. Like, wow, 10 grand. Um, uh, so it didn't take a lot to, to, to get us by financially. And also when you start, when you go from, you know, making $2,000 a month to making $10,000, your life can really change drastically like it, it's mm-hmm. really a, a great bump in um the things that you're able to do yeah totally. so what um what 
Uh, I'm wondering along that say so you say it took four four years about to where it really started to, you know, it sounds like become a full time gig for you guys really right where you saw the potential, yeah. but like oh mm -hmm. this is this is real I don't have to go and try something else just let's go. Kind of what 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 was it that made you realize that at that point? What? Um, just the audience I think I was, you had the following. Yeah, um, when I was when I knew. So, so the money was there, you know, it was consistent. And uh, in fact, the job I was at, it was being a nonprofit that I was working for. Sometimes they, they just couldn't pay me on time. So I would tell them, pay all the other staff. You can pay me last hmm. because I had this other, the side hustle. I had MTA that would, and I, I was happy to be able to do that. And uh, and then pretty soon I'm like, well, maybe I can just make it on the money I get from MTA and and quit my job and just go full time doing this. And I was still nervous, really nervous mm -hmm. about it. And I mm -hmm. talked to my I actually talked remember talk, talking to my dad, who is also an entrepreneur. And he just he told me, have faith, just have faith. I'm like, all right. So <laughs> yeah. it is it seems like simple advice, but I think he saw something that I didn't see. You just have to trust. You have to trust God. You have to trust yourself that, you know, you, you're going to make things happen. You have what it takes that you're going to, you know, if things get tight, uh, that's when the brain goes into overdrive to start looking for solutions. Yeah. And some, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. Like the, the, the way that we were able to, to live on this, is because my wife had 50 clients, 50 coaching clients. Oh, okay. And that's way too many for one coach, right? So she got burnt out, not because the clients were bad people, but just it's just too many, too much work, plus three kids at home and all the other stuff. So um she just said, I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna coach anymore. Uh, we need to delegate this. So that was uh, that kind of stressed me out at first, freaked me out because I don't have a business background. You know, I studied theology in college, so I'm just kind of learning as I go, but it, it provided an opportunity for us to start adding team members. So we started adding coaches to the team, doing a revenue share with them and bringing on just super talented people in terms of coaching and running really accomplished people too in their running they just didn't have the client pipeline that we had because of our big podcast so they we need coaches they need clients it was a match made in heaven and now we have uh 14 coaches on our wow. team and so Angie doesn't have to do one on one coaching if she doesn't want to um and so her sort of stress and burn burnout back then was what uh, sort of forced me to have to get creative and think, well, how do we set this up better? Blessing is in disguise. Maybe she, maybe she wouldn't consider it a blessing, but because of it was stressful for her, but, um, but now she would probably, yeah. So blessing in disguise, I would say. Mm -hmm. That, that team dynamic that you two have, you know, as and I describe it as a team dynamic because it is, even though you're a couple, but I, I think it, it just, it's awesome the way you, I, I hear Angie's clearly the, the runner in the family, right? She's very passionate about it. She loves it. She knows a ton about it. And not that you don't, you clearly are as well, but um, but you're you're the entrepreneur. You you've just figured out how to solve the problems, make it all everything work for everybody. And you can feel the support you have for each other uh in building it along the way. And somehow you you manage to almost make each other's passions there, like a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Right, like part of your lifestyle, and still make a living at it, which is just beautiful, and, and it's been beautiful to watch and yeah. see that grow. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, definitely could not have done any of it without her. Um, she's the the expert, you know, behind the brand. She's the in terms of our our topic, you know, marathon training. But you're right; she doesn't she doesn't really handle the business stuff. That's that's kind of what I do. She doesn't care to handle it which is great because I have my lane and she has her lane and they complement each other. And it's, it's worked good for us so far. 
I was going to say, what what exactly does the coaching program look like these days? Are you, do you have all your coaches doing one-on-one coaching? Is it in-person? Is it virtual? Is there group coaching? What, what do you guys uh, offer? It's one-on-one uh, and it's virtual since people are scattered all over the world and our coaches are too. So it's, it's online. And thankfully now we have the depth on our team that pretty much any goal you have in endurance running, uh, whether it's running a marathon or an ultra back-to-back races, qualifying for Boston, getting through an injury, running faster. Like we have someone on the team who's done it and knows how to do it. And so we'll, we'll pair the client up with the coach that best fits their needs and their goals. And then uh, it's all done via email and phone call with the coach with the coach between the coach and client, we try to give the coach a lot of autonomy. So we're not like micromanaging them because, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They're professional. And uh, every coach has a different little style and platform they like to use for communicating with clients. Some of them like to use uh, training peaks, for example, whereas Angie, when she coached, she, she's pretty low tech. It was only email. She'll send you an email with your workout and then communicate via email. Cool. Go, going back to the couples, I'm curious about that dynamic a little more because, you know, I've tried uh, some business ventures with my wife. And <laughs> it, we were not as successful as you and Angie are. <laughs> so I'm just wondering how how that's, you know, what, what, what happens behind the scenes? Is it all as rosy? And, you know, I know you, you guys banter a little bit and it's fun. But uh, yeah, how, how how does that work? Is it just about staying in your lane, or what? You know, has it? Um, what advice do you have around that? What experiences? I think uh, the it has to give back to you. So there's there's actually a verse in the Bible where uh, this is this is this is kind of taking the verse out of context from what it actually is about, but there's this line in there that I keep going back to. And it's when Jesus is walking through uh, the fields or something, and he's eating, the disciples are eating the corn without washing their hands. And the, the Pharisees complain and says, you know, why don't they wash their hands? They're breaking this rule on the Sabbath or whatever. And Jesus says, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So they had turned something that's meant to be a blessing, a day of rest, something that fed them, you know, spiritually. And the Pharisees had turned it into a chore, into a drudge, into just mm-hmm. a bunch of rules, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, when it, when any, when life gets like that, when the business feels like a grind, like I'm a slave to it, I'm serving it, then I've I've got it wrong. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like this. This business has to support my goals and my lifestyle, or it's just, I've just turned it into a glorified nine to five. And I'm, you know, I've become my own boss that, that I don't want. And I can be a hard boss. I can be an asshole to myself. Right. So, and, and to, and to Angie too. So, and I don't want to do that. So the business has to give maybe in small ways in the beginning, you know, because you have you you got to have cash flow, and you you know you got to pay attention to stuff. You don't want to kill the 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 goose that lays the golden egg, as they say. But it's it's cool to be able to live w- when you're um, when you have an online business and you can do it from anywhere. You know, you can travel and do it. You can expense a lot of your travel if you're doing it for business. So we'll go to marathons. Angie, like like we've talked about, she's run all these marathons all over the U.S one in each state. So those are write-offs, you know, when we go to stay at these hotels and go out to eat. And there's a lot of that you can write off because we're using it to build our brand. We're talking about it on the podcast. We're connecting with customers and future customers. So it connects to one of our core values is freedom and the ability to travel. So any of the uh, unpleasant aspects of the business, like the hours and hours and hours of editing I do on the podcast, which I procrastinate sometimes, like the unpleasant aspects are not enough for me to to, to say this sucks, right? So I got this 
this framework I use for 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 business, and uh, it's called the satisfaction to bullcrap framework. So if the bullcrap is low and satisfaction is high, that's where I want to be. And I've worked in jobs where there's too much bullcrap and not enough happiness and satisfaction. Things are way out of balance. If it's kind of like 50-50, it's still not where I want to be. Like I want high amounts of happiness and satisfaction with low low headaches and low amount of bullcrap. And <laughs> for me, what that looks like is um, I just have 1099 employees. Like I don't have anybody. Uh, I don't have a physical business. I don't have a, any location. Everyone's a freelancer. And uh, I just don't have the stress of of having to, you know, W2 employees at this at this time. I really admire people who who do that because a lot of times your level of bullcrap, unfortunately, let's just be honest, like a lot of that comes from people, you know, mm -hmm. in a business, staff, yeah. staffing mm -hmm. issues. My dad had a sporting goods store in California and he had 60 employees. And he is one of the most patient guys that I know, but that's employee problems and interpersonal conflicts and bickering among employees would stress him out the worst of anything else in his job. And uh, the highest amount of bullcrap usually came from employees. So for me, I always look at things as is the satisfaction I get way, uh, way greater than the amount of bullcrap I have to put up with. And that's how I've structured it. So in terms of working with Angie, she works with at, on what she's good at and what she likes. And the business gives back to her in, in terms of stuff that she wants to do, like getting a massage. Like she, it's important for her to take good care of her body because she's doing all these races. So she goes and gets a massage like locally once a week. And it's expensive, you know, to do that. It's like a hundred bucks a pop. And, uh, but the business can pay for it because it's important uh, to her overall, you know, success in running marathons, which is important to our success in business. Uh, for our brand. So it does that's one way it gives back to her to work. Whereas I like to travel uh, to races. I just got back from this marathon in Belgium. Yeah. And uh, that was, that was enriching to me and meeting with people. I just love meeting people. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like I'm just kind of rambling. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you definitely did. And I love the satisfaction of pro crap framework. It sounds like you're, each also more conscious of that for each other, right? Like you, you know, when like Angie had the 50 clients and that just became very high bull crap, very low satisfaction. Exactly. You figured out something to, to reverse that, right? So yep. you, you, you both seem to figure that out for each other and really low increase satisfaction and decrease the bull, bull crap. Right. That's so, right. And I would say as a couple in business, just that's such a simple framework, but, Wow, it's it's powerful. I mean, just being conscious of that for each other, it's great. And it also helps to uh, have a good sense of humor. Yeah, because you know everyone that's married knows. Sure. You know how 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 it could be. And I've been married twenty years. Uh, we yeah. celebrate our twentieth anniversary this month. And congratulations! I think the only way you make it this long and to to live together and work together in close proximity is just we just have to have a good sense of humor. Like I know I get on her nerves sometimes. She knows she gets on my nerves, and that's what we laugh about. Yeah, and maybe, maybe one day it'll all come epically crashing down, and I will, I will eat these words. But right now, we can just laugh our way through the pain. Just yeah. laugh. No, just <laughs> no, it's yeah. it's been cool, man. Um, she is she's an inspiration to me. Like all of the, like she is faithful in exercising. Like doesn't yeah. miss a day. A strength training. Like she's type A, gets satisfaction from crossing off the checklist, whereas I'm a creative type yeah. and I'm generating ideas all the time. And she really keeps me grounded because some of my ideas are dumb, right? <laughs> and you need a you need someone like like your wife who could poke holes in your ideas because there's a lot of maybe things you haven't considered. And uh, some sometimes the ideas are great, like the idea to start the podcast. But so other times they're not. So she's poked holes in it and it's, it's been a blessing. It's, it's been ultimately good for me to have someone yeah. like that check me and 
point out any blind spots that I don't know I have. So do you have a 1099 employee that that helps manage the coaches and scheduling and all that stuff? Or are you you guys still doing that stuff in your business? Yeah, as of 2020, we we've ha- we have hired a uh, head coach. Her name is Nicole. She's a rock star. She, nice. she actually lives locally. So she's like one town away. So we we can meet in person if we need to. Super cool person as well and accomplished runner. And also she's also a registered nurse. So just a lot in common with Angie, but she handles all the incoming clients uh, as far as coaching consultation calls. Right now we have kind of a call funnel where if someone's interested in coaching, they can get on a free call with her for 30 minutes. She'll try to help them out like practically with, you know, giving them tips right there on the phone, but also tell them how coaching works and her, she's great on the phone. A lot of people sign up from this. It's awesome closing rate. And, uh, and then she'll match up the client with the coach. That's the best fit. And then check on the client, handle any issues that come up. And she's also uh, been on the podcast several times. We're about to release a new episode and she, she kind of guest hosted the episode with me having someone like that, like a personal assistant, uh, or a manager is something I I've wanted to have since the beginning, just couldn't afford it. And sometimes I feel like I can't afford it still, but I just, you know, I make myself afford it. You know, you find ways because it's, it's worth right. it. It's a hell of an incentive to, yeah, we got to make some more money. So you exactly. don't have to do the things, all those things, <laughs> yep. get your bull crap level up over your, over your ears. That's so, right. That's good. Because the, the thing is like, she's better at it than I am. Like, and it brings her satisfaction. It's rewarding to her to talk people like uh, to connect with people, to see success stories come in from the clients and she's she's told me like this is a great job she can work she makes good money can just do it right from home do it on the road anywhere you know i'm I'm not like looking over her shoulder she's got autonomy so and and the the coaching program is going the best that it's ever gone you know under her uh the improvement that she's brought to it and changes that she's made i love it man i love i love finding talented people and just plugging them in to, to the, the systems and to the business and growing it, you know, working on it instead of in it. Can I ask my uh, running geek questions now? Some <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. How about the bit? I, um, I guess, first of all, this one uh, is, an, I, I, I belong to a group here in Denver called revolution running. And, um, I put out to the group, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Trevor. Anybody have any questions? One of my running teammates, Rachel Haley, she wanted to know what you think about in, I don't know if this is applicable to, you You know, you're you're involved in the running world in many different ways, I guess now, so you have access to it. But she wanted to know what your thoughts on diversity and running are. Like, what can we do to, have have you seen any successful models you know, for, hmm. for more diverse running communities and, you know, if so, where, how are they? Yeah. I definitely don't know if I'm qualified to answer that or speak on that, but I do know that there's a lot of great books that, that have come out and are coming out. We just had Lauren Fleshman on the podcast. Oh yeah. And this is kind of, kind of related, I guess, to the diversity question, but she went, a, went into a lot about contracts for elite athletes and sort of the how unfair they were for female athletes who wanted to get pregnant you know and her nike contract kara goucher had the same uh unfortunate experience and we had her on the podcast recently too so i think there's more people more people speaking out against uh abuse in that way and people are mindful of you know how women have been treated and yeah. in sports, especially on a professional level, in terms of like uh, the diversity question too, um, there's a a lot of great you know African American authors who are publishing books now. We um, there's there's a, a book called Slow AF hmm. that we were just sent by Martinus. Oh, I forget his last name. I I need to follow up with him, but he's basically this a larger runner, African American guy. And he's got quite a brand now that he's built, you know, just just keeping it real and talking about 
you know, the struggles that he has, you know, as a, a, a runner who's not this stereotypical looking runner. And his book's mm-hmm. called Slow AF. Mm-hmm. And um, on this topic, too, it, it, for years, it bothered me that we, everyone that was a guest on our show was pretty white, you know? And it wasn't by, it wasn't on purpose. Like we had tried to get all kinds of, you know, athletes and, and, and we do kind of, cause our podcast is larger. We do kind of try to go after people with some star power. So we wanted yeah. to get Meb Kafleski for yeah. years. We finally were able to get him on the show. I interviewed him in person. Yeah. I remember that. Um, we've been trying to get David Goggins, like Angie and I absolutely oh. love David Goggins. <laughs> and then, and then we just started, we have we started having success with getting more, you know, African-American athletes on the podcast. We had uh, Abdi Abdirahman, the, yeah. the Olympian. He wrote a book and his publisher wanted to get him on our show. That was really cool. Um, we had Corey Woolering, who is is a uh, competitive ultra runner. And he was also on, uh, I think it was a show on Amazon called The World's Toughest Race or something about this this um, this race in Fiji. And he was one of he was one on one of the teams that competed in that. So we had him on right around the time that came out, and that was soon after uh, sort of the George Floyd incident happened, I believe. And so a lot of people were just really aware of, you know, the racial injustice and stuff. No, I, no, let me take that back. I think it was right after the shooting in Georgia of uh, the unarmed black black man who's going out for a run and oh, get shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So we had we had Corey on the podcast and we we asked him, have you how have you found the running community to receive you? Because he's he's African-American and he's also gay. And he's I said, have you ever experienced any prejudice, you know, had from runners? Have you ever had any bad experience? And I really expected him to point out something, but he said, no, <laughs> it kind of yeah. shocked me. It kind of it, it, it took it took me aback because. He just said, no, not, I haven't. And, uh, well, this is great. You know, that's cool. I mean, I, I really hope because the running community I found to be extremely positive place. And so even though I was shocked that, that he said that I was happy that he's been all over the world and run all these races. And he, he's felt like he's been warmly received by the running community. And I, I hope that's how it always is. Yeah. I know it's not, but I, I really hope it is that way everywhere for everybody because running is just what brings us all together. It's such a beautiful thing. Hmm. Marijuana and running really bring people together. Well, <laughs> in my experience, I'll say this, you know, as a, as a Latino male grew up in, in very underprivileged communities and all that running more so than anything has really um, helped me build relationships across all kinds of barriers that maybe I even had, right. Like as, as, I saw myself as just a poor Latino kid, right? And uh, and all of a sudden now the people I run with are, some of them are incredibly successful and wealthy from all different parts of the world, middle class, you know, people I just wouldn't have access to. And we just go on runs together. And I think mm-hmm. part of it is me. Like I go and I talk to everybody and meet everybody and all that. So like anybody who wants more of it, I, you know, I'm asking a question, but I also think we need to make an effort to get out there and go in, in the, the, the communities where the people we want to, you know, expand running to or at, you know, and meet them there and, and go get to know them, right? Because they're all great human beings everywhere. But thank you for taking that question on. <laughs> uh, I I was also wondering about, you know, your favorite interviews you've had. You've, you've like you mentioned, Meb and all these others, you know, were there any other guests that really just stand out? Maybe, maybe two that outside of the big names that you're like, wow, that, that conversation really changed my life. Or, or really have mm. big impact. <laughs> wow. We've talked to a lot of people. Uh, you know, one, I think one person that I always, I, I get asked this question uh, once in a while, and there's this researcher, a scientist in South Africa named um, Dr. Tim Noakes. Oh, yeah. He, he wrote a book called The Lore of Running. Some people yeah. refer to it as the running Bible because it's like 900 pages. Yeah. I and he's my other bookshelf. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. He's probably in his 70s now. Wow. He's getting up there, but it was hard to get him on the show. 
a lot of podcasts that actually try to get him and don't have success, but somehow we got through, we got him on the show that uh, I think he's been on twice Wow! and he's just so gracious and grandfatherly and, 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 and witty. But the reason why I, I bring him up because his, what he has to say about the central governor theory of fatigue in the body is so fascinating. He basically says that, you know, fatigue is conditioned by your brain. It's not a physiological condition in your muscles. Your brain tells you you're tired to conserve energy and you can choose to listen to it's the part of your brain that just wants to, you to survive, not the higher, more rational part. So the higher, more rational part of your brain could, could stop and think, man, I'm really having negative thoughts right now. And these negative thoughts are slowing me down. So you are aware of your thoughts. That's what makes us human, right? We have thoughts about thoughts. We, we, uh, we're we not our thoughts. We're the one observing our thoughts. Hmm. Kind of a, That's a trippy thing to think about, right? Yeah. Here's another trippy thing to think about. <laughs> the brain is the only thing on earth that named itself. Brain named itself. <laughs> wow. Nice. That is an interesting <laughs> thought. <laughs> I shall be called brain. So <laughs> Noakes says that... And these are basically through tests in the lab where they had like young athletes, college athletes run to fatigue on a treadmill. Like, that sounds completely miserable to me, but they're all hooked up to the mask and the wires and run until you can't run anymore. So these dudes are running full out and ran until they can't stop. And then they test like for their muscle glycogen. And, and his theory is that you still have muscle glycogen on board when you get fatigued. You, you can still go further than you think you can. And one evidence for that is that we can all, when we see the finishing line, we can kick. Yeah. We can be dead tired, but have a finishing kick left. So where is that energy coming from? Well, he says it was always in there, but your brain it tries to slow you down. It's called the central governor model of fatigue. So I've tried, I've taken that and kind of extrapolated it to, just life, like career, business, like other goals in my life. Your your brain is, is so powerful that you you give it a vision of what you want. It wants to go to work creating that reality. But there's also this like play it safe, be cautious part of your brain that you have to learn to tune out and and to to handle and to deal with. Um, but it really all is in the mind, you know, yeah. so much. So. If anyone uh, has the chance to go check out what Tim Noakes has to say about the central governor. Yeah, I will absolutely do that. Um, trying to be mindful of your time here, Trevor. Are, are you, we're kind of pushing up against it. Are you okay if we go just a little bit longer to tackle the Wayfinder 4? Are you oh, for sure, yeah. Famous Wayfinder 4? <laughs> the world the fam- famous. The world famous. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing but time. Cool, man. All right, well, we'll just jump in then. Um what is one hack that you use in your daily life? Could be an app, could be, yeah, anything you use to cheat life, routine. You know, I really love the Libby app. It's also called the Overdrive app, and you can get free audiobooks mm. through your local library. Just link it up with your library card. I have seen books that I, at the bookstore, like Barnes & Noble, I still love going to the bookstore. I love the experience of having a book in my hand, the paper book. I can't get into eBooks. I I hope Barnes and Noble doesn't go away because I love the experience of going in there and I'll see a book and it'll be in my consideration set that marketing term for, you know, like I'm not ready to buy it, but it's kind of in that set of things that I might want to buy in the future. For example, the, uh, the book grant by Ron Chernow, about, uh, mm. about Ulysses S. Grant. So he wrote, oh. Chernow wrote um, Hamilton and Washington. Of course, Hamilton became a, a musical as famous. Right. But his newest book is about Grant. And all these books are like 900 pages. Yeah. So I've read Hamilton, I've read Grant, or I've read Washington, but I didn't have Grant. And then I found it on the Libby app and it's like 13 hours long, but whatever. It I was able to listen to it on, in the car on the trails, just anything I was doing. And here's a a book I really, really wanted. And boom, it was in Libby. I found so many great books through this, this freaking little app and I don't have to pay for them. That's the, that's the best part. Yeah. I use that too. That's a great hack. 
What about um, a favorite? So unfortunately, these books are not in Libby yet, but I've really been enjoying a series called The Shortest History of Boom. And then it's usually about countries. Oh. I do like to travel. When I, whenever I go to a new country, I try to pick up a book about that country and learn about the culture. And some history books can be like really dry and long. And I, and also a lot of them are pretty like niche. Like you can learn about Napoleon or that, that saga in French history. But if you want like an overview of the, the history of France from beginning until current day, you know, from the Roman times until now, it's hard to find a concise book like that. That's not too boring. So I stumbled upon this, this book series in the London Heathrow airport. First one I bought was called the shortest history of Germany. Cause I, I was, I just fresh came from Germany and I was, I'm learning German. So I was kind of really keen to dig in, but now they have the shortest history of England, the shortest history of China, shortest history of war. So it's a really great series. I think they're up to nine so far. Uh, they're published by Old Street Publishing out of the UK. And I love I love their books so much. I emailed them and I told them, like, I will buy every book that you guys make in this oh. series. Because I also like, you know, it's a series. So you kind of feel like you got to collect them all, right? You got the yeah. squirrel brain thing going on. That's good marketing too, by the way. Like, make a series of something. So people buy the first one, they'll want the second and the third right. and the fourth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you like history, but you don't have tons of time <laughs> to be reading 900 page books, the shortest history of series. Now, what's one piece of advice you wish you could go back and give your 25 year old self? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wasn't okay. even around. That was 05. I would have been 25 and 05. But do you guys <laughs> remember when you first heard about Bitcoin? It's probably like, what the hell is that? It's it's like two pennies, but mm -hmm. you didn't buy it because you couldn't figure out how or, you know, right. Like, I'll, I think the, yeah, the first time I heard about Bitcoin, I think I set up an account at Mount Gox and then I couldn't figure out anything else. I like got distracted and I didn't buy it until it was like at 16,000 the first time <laughs> I bought it. Yeah. Uh -huh. I don't think I bought any honestly until it was in the twenties at least. So, uh -huh. I was I was definitely late to that game. I'm sure a lot later than you to that game, but I'm about break even right now. <laughs> Which I'm happy to be here after the last year with it. Yeah. But, uh, I bought it at last so two years ago, I bought some right before I went on vacation. And then it bounced up and then I sold it. I bought a whole coin. First time I'd ever bought a whole coin. And I forget uh -huh. what it was at, like twenty seven, twenty eight. And uh, I made maybe five or $6,000 just from that summer, just from kind of the ride it took. And if you look historically, like every summer, it kind of would spike up and down. Mm -hmm. Well, last year, uh, we went to Europe for 39 days. And I, I bought a whole coin when it was at, I think it was at 29. Because I looked in the summer before that, it had gone all the way up to like 50, 60. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. I have I have some money set aside right now. I'm going to buy a coin, let it ride for the summer, and then get back, and maybe I'll make, you know, five or six thousand dollars again, pay for part of my trip. But as soon as I bought it, it just plummeted down to like sixteen thousand, <laughs> and I just it just it lost ten grand immediately. And only if I you just, sell. That's true. Only if you sell. So I was just disgusted with it, but. But then it finally inched back up to like 30 and I'm like, oh, I should sell this crap. But then it dropped again. And I think I, I got out of it, got my money back minus like 40, 40, 50 bucks I lost. But at least I got my coins, got the money out of the coin. Yeah. Totally. Now watch it'll go to like 60 tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Just because you sold. So let us know when you sell, man. So that's when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is something that you think keeps people from being happy? Yeah, this is an interesting question. Um, when you sent me this question, uh, because you guys were nice enough to share these ahead of time. Yeah. And everyone can tell just by how prepared I am for these questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually in Costa Rica when I when you emailed me. Oh, and wow. I I had the opportunity just to go out on the beach and walk around. And we were there on a little vacation. 
And sometimes you can be in a beautiful place like that and with nothing to do, you're just totally going to relax and still not be happy. And I had a, a, some days like that yeah. uh, when I was in Costa Rica. Like I just wouldn't allow myself, give myself permission to just enjoy it, to relax. Cause I felt like I had to be doing something. I had to be working and it's hard to turn that part of your brain off sometimes. Just give yourself permission to enjoy what you've earned without chasing the next thing. So, and I think for me, what keeps me from being happy, and this maybe affects other people too, is you get on social media and you scroll and you start comparing your life to other people. Right. And you're like, man, they those people really have their shit together and are just crushing it. They're just like uber successful. And here I am just sort of, plodding along and those are just unhealthy unhelpful thoughts to think it's better just to compare yourself to a past version of yourself i think well well look look how far i've come same thing with running mm. too i remember how hard it was to get through my first marathon you know i'm not a talented runner i'm no you know elite runner so if i compare myself to or even you Luis, like you're running like three hour marathons like you're <laughs> Right? Am I right? You're well, down close to three hours. I got down to three oh four. Was my PR. yeah. That's I'm, killer. I'm hoping to break three, but that's killer. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. People, people hear you know other people's marathon times, and they can feel bad about their own running journey, which it it never affects me because I know I'm just like lazy runner and I don't care about running that fast. <laughs> but I know for a lot of people, it it can it can be discouraging going through social media, seeing people's PRs and just compare yourself to a slower, more, you know, past version of yourself and, and think about how much more mentally tough you are now, how much more wisdom you have now than your old self. Let that be the gauge of your progress, not comparing yourselves to others. I mm -hmm. think that could help people hold on to more happiness this day and age. I like that. So if, uh, if people want to know a little bit more about you, Trevor, what, where could they find you? Yeah, I'd love to have you check us out over at marathontrainingacademy.com or just put in marathon training if, if you're a runner and uh, or if you want to become a runner, just put in marathon training in your podcast app. We should pop up and yeah, give us a listen. You might, you might want to listen for the next 13 years like Luis. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, really is impressive. the best podcast out there i mean there's no no but when it comes to running you know there'll, there'll be some that come and go and have some good episodes but in terms of consistency and and valuable advice uh for the normal person and now i i've, I've watched you grow to yeah your coach now uh and and the guests you have they offer advice for elite level athletes too now which is really great but for me who, who couldn't run five minutes when i started hmm. um to get to where I'm at, I feel like I've grown with you. You know, like I shed a tear when Angie ran her fiftieth marathon in, in Hawaii. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, she did it! I can't believe it." It's just you guys taught me to go for big goals and uh, and make them happen. And so I, I'm yeah. really grateful. Yeah, I appreciate so, that, man. From going from not being able to run to now being able to do a, a three or four marathon, that's well, that's epic. That was man. a few years ago. I don't know if I can do it again. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> but thanks. Yeah. You almost I'll, hit it like two months ago, man. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> What'd you hit? 312? I like that governor theory that Dr. Tim Noakes talked about, you know, take over me. But, anyways. Yeah. Your body tries to stop you. Like, what are you doing to me? Yeah. I did it, man. And you know it too when you get in, you know, and, and it's just, it is such a hard, it, it really becomes more of a mental sport over time. You know, physically, I've probably plateaued for the last three years, but it's and I have a good race. It's when my mental game is on. It's not, yep. it's not the physical piece anymore. Hmm. But anyways, you don't want to get running geeks talking about running because this will go on <laughs> all night, right? Trevor, man, thank you again so much for being here. This is an absolute honor and joy. Uh, and I hope, you know, we can have you and Angie on sometime. It'd be great. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor to talk to you guys and uh, all the best with uh, the Wayfinder show podcast. Let me know when it goes out.
Yeah, Thank will do. Thanks again, man. Mm-hmm. This is fun. All right. Take care, guys. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.